Listen, Metalworking Nation, if this pandemic has taught me one thing, it's that we need to accelerate our digital transformation. You can't get into shops the same way anymore. Business isn't done the same way as it once was, and it's only going to continue to trend in that direction. Let me tell you about a company that is doing just that. It's Zometry. So what is Zometry? Zometry is custom manufacturing on demand. They have over 5,000 partners, and their network has the capacity you need for prototyping and production. They're AS9100 and ISO 9001 certified, registered with ITAR. You can get an instant quote today for any of the services that you might need, whether it be CNC machining, 3D printing, injection molding, sheet metal, finishing services. You can even buy materials. Zometry is trusted by the engineers and purchasing leaders at the world's most successful companies like BMW, GE, NASA, Dell, and Bosch. Listen, if you want to turbocharge the way you make custom parts, check out Zometry. It's really easy. X-O-M-E-T-R-Y dot com and you can get a quote today. Hey, Metalworking Nation, it's Jim here. This is a special episode we wanted to bring you. We were asked to be keynote speakers at the recent DMG Mori National Sales Meeting. The three of us had great ideas to convey to their national sales team, and we want to share that with you. Hopefully, we can equip and inspire you in your efforts to sell to the Metalworking Nation. Uh, mine, before I hand it over to Jason and Nick, mine was old school tips for a new normal in this environment. Jason, what was yours? Yeah, so it's not surprising that Jim went for old school tips. You know, he loves <laughs> he loves the old school stuff, the old it's school still music, relevant, and the buddy. old school tips. So. I think th- this is a great event because it brought together all of you know DMG's sales leadership and their sales team, and I always think it's good to get a fresh perspective from other people. You know, Jim talked about that they were great tips. You know, I-, I don't know how great they were, but they were tips, and I think it's it's good to get ideas from other people. One of the things that I talked about was just how to add value when you're not actually selling, and in the midst of COVID, and when a lot of your clients are not buying, and some of your clients are buying a. Lot Lot, it really pays to keep in touch and still add value while you are not there to sell them either a tool, a machine tool, or parts, or whatever it is that you do. You don't have to tell them now. They can listen. Okay, Jason? Okay. <laughs> and Nick, what did you talk about? So yeah, I, I think it was really great for them to bring in an unbiased third party to their national sales meeting. They got three different perspectives, Jim being a contract manufacturer, Jason being a distributor in the middle, and me being another OEM. Not that we're building machine tools, but building things that go with machine tools. So I talked from my perspective as a sales director about how the COVID challenge is really a sales challenge. It's never been harder to get into doors. So I talked a lot about what my team is doing to pivot kind of change the old way and start doing some new things in order to keep the sales activity up. Yeah. And in Metalworking Nation, just so you know, the audio quality from this presentation is not going to be the quality that making chips typically has. So I just want to make that known that the quality level is not as high as we typically have, but we believe that the content is still good. So here you go. For sure. As Jason said, they may not be great tips, but there will be tips nonetheless. You bet. Have fun. Enjoy. Good afternoon, everyone. It's my pleasure to introduce today's keynote speaker. Many of you, I'm sure, already subscribe and listen to the Making Chips podcast. 
If not, I'd highly recommend subscribing today. Jim and Jason first met during a radio appearance back in 2013, and they soon found a shared passion of our much-loved manufacturing industry. Shortly afterwards, they both recognized the need for a resource to inspire the metalworking nation. We hope that this afternoon, Jim, Jason, and Nick will share that passion to inspire you. We'll be taking questions, as always, at the end, so please post these using the Q&A button as opposed to chat. And no further ado, let's please welcome Jim, Jason, and Nick. Guys, the stage is yours. All right. Thanks for having us. I got to say, Jason, I feel like I'm in like a sidecar on your motorcycle. You got to do something with the chair, please. You want me to adjust? Yeah. All right. There we yeah, go. Better. Better. Much better, guys. I, I'm better. so glad I'm not with you today. My OCD is really kicking in here. So I'm seeing you right now. You're a little bit more level. So, hey, everybody, welcome. It's great to be here to be representing DMG Mori. We know who we're talking to. We were we were teed up about who you are on the other side of the screen. So we hope we've crafted enough information to equip and inspire you to do better in, in your role at DMG. Nick, take it away. You're up first. Yeah. So we're each of us are going to deliver a little bit of a segment just from our own perspective. For me, I'm a sales director for a company you may be familiar with, Advanced Machine and Engineering. We're known for tombstones. We make a lot of tombstones that you guys would sell with a horizontal milling machine to, to your customer. And um, as the sales director, when this whole COVID problem hit, you know, what we realized at, at the executive staff meetings is the biggest challenge for us that COVID produced is a sales challenge. You know, yes, we had to change some things. You know, people had to wear masks. We had to take precautions that we weren't used to. But th at the end of the day, the biggest challenge for the business was like, okay, this is kind of an economic crisis and now it's time for the salespeople to step up. And so for me and my team, you know, I established right away that like excuses, they don't really count for anything. We have a lot of really valuable excuses right now that, that are relevant, but it doesn't really matter. We talk a lot about innovation in this business and now it's time for the salespeople to be a little bit more innovative. So my challenge to them was, you know, what are we going to do differently? What are we going to do differently? Well, I'll get to that in a second. But when I first said that, one of my sales guys said, you know, we, we can't travel as much. We can't see customers as much, but it's our responsibility to work harder than we ever have before. And in order to do that, we have to think differently. So to answer your question, Jim, for us, we had to embrace a lot of prospecting and networking methods that for my guys who are mostly like my dad's age, you know, they're not natural to them. The, the panelists at DMG, like, how have you guys pivoted? And then after you guys tell me some of the things that you've done, I'll tell you, like, what's worked for me and my sales team and how we've been able to still make su successful relationships and still expand our network. So Lonnie or Logan or Scott, you know, what one of you, can, can you talk a little bit about how your role as an area sales manager has changed in response to COVID? Yeah, it's a big challenge in New York where, you know, every place had a sign said, do not enter. Right from the beginning, and you know, just with a concern, but you know, we're concerned as well for our reasons. But knowing that we got to keep our income coming for our, our family here and the whole company family, basically, what I did is just started making phone calls. And at first, it was people just just to let them know we're here and just to keep the bond going. But you know, I, I want to say something early on here is that is that, and maybe it's different for some of these other guys that are on. I've been involved in this company for, for a lot of years. So the 
people in my area know me, so it was easier for me to call. I, I really wonder about the, the folks that don't have those long-term relationships. So you said two things that really resonate with me. Not only are you keeping food on your family's table, but as sales, you know, we keep the gas in the tank of the business. The sales stops, everything else stops. So other people's jobs are literally on the line if we're not able to sell. And that's, that's a weighty responsibility for us. And my team was able to recognize that. The second thing, you know, when you have a multi-decade career and all these relationships and it's easier to pick up the phone and, and connect with someone who knows you and who, who's going to pick up. But for the newer guys, for the aspiring sales leader, I've got a, a really young guy on my team right now who's only got a few years into the field. He doesn't necessarily have those relationships yet. So one thing that's been really effective for us is the pre-work that we do before we make that prospecting call is extremely important. And LinkedIn, I'm telling you guys, like not to sound like a millennial who's all about social media, but LinkedIn is by far the most valuable tool that we have in our prospecting toolbox. Because if I pick up the phone and I call Jim's shop and I say, hey, Jim's receptionist, can you connect me with the person who makes capital investment? What is she going to do, Jim? He's going to go like this. Eh, sorry. Not available. But one thing I can do is I can do a lot of pre-work. Most people have some sort of a brand that already exists online, and I can learn a little bit about them, and I, I can most importantly learn their name and their role in the business. All I got to do is search Car Machine and Tool, and I can see like who's on LinkedIn that works at Car Machine and Tool. So if I pick up the phone and I talk as if I'm supposed to talk to Jim, hi, is Jim there? This is Nick from Advance. I'm Jim's friend. It's like almost just like yeah. she's just like, oh yeah, I'll get you right through. And so just doing a lot of pre-work has been really valuable. The second thing that's been really valuable for my sales team is understanding that while it may not be as easy for me to get that appointment for someone who's not actively in the buying journey for what I sell, there is someone who they are working with. There is someone who's supplying to them. So Jason comes to mind as an industrial tooling supplier. I've been working with my team to expand our network to other people who are delivering value in the industry. Not that we want to sell cutting tools or anything like that, but if my guys are working with Jason's guys and they're in shops and they have relationships with other people who are delivering value, Jason's team could be the first one to tip my team off. Hey, you know, they're actually pretty busy right now. They're in medical or they're in semiconductor or they're in firearms and, and they're growing like crazy and they're going to be buying some new machines. So I would encourage the DMG people to think beyond the customer and who else is delivering value to your customer and how can you network with them? Because that's going to get you that foot in the door. That's going to get you that initial tip. I'd like to move on to the next part about how they do research, how people buy. And I think, you know, this is not anything new, but we all know today's buyers much more educated than they've ever been in the past. And so let me ask you, like the panelists again, how, how do you think your target customer does research on their next investment in machine tool technology? How, how do you think that process works? And then after you answer, I'm going to ask Jim, how did you do research the last time you bought a horizontal milling machine? Horizontal or just a, a CNC machining center? <laughs> CNC okay. machine. But, well, okay. if, I, if I know Jim... Jim is going to pretend and try real hard to say that he knows more about that DMG machine than the DMG sales rep. There's a, I think there's a lot of manufacturing leaders out there that would do that. They would say, well, let me tell you, salesman, about all the things that I know about your product. I, I'm about to tell a story of someone who just purchased 
Mark McDonald with the pallet system, and that's exactly what he said. Yep. He said, by the end of it, I had done so much research, I felt like I knew more than the sales guy. But how do you think they do the research? Someone from DNG answered, you know, what do you describe that process? And we'll see how much that matches up with what Jim said. This is Scott from Chicago. So I'll kind of, Fraser can uh, attest to this. We've been pretty fortunate to receive some good training here throughout the years. And the Challenger sales training model for us was insight that when we arrive at the customer, they're about 60% of the way through the sales process themselves. So if I told you that, uh, hey, there's a 60% chance that we're going to the Grand Canyon on vacation, you'd say, pack your bags. We're probably going on vacation, right? So that 60% model when we get there is a perfect opportunity to let us know just how serious they are. We could take that insight, just how serious they are, and either re-educate or build on that momentum. So they're getting most of their information, most, I would say, if they're not a user online, if they are a user, then that's a big benefit already. Yeah, Scott, I would agree with you. And I would actually say that 60% is accelerating. And, And let me explain the reason why. In the consumer market, people are probably close to like 90% towards the buying decision after they've done their own research. And I would say... You know, the B2B market and the B2C market, the B2B market kind of lags behind a little bit, and you're going to see that 60% accelerate. So right. it's something to kind of find as you guys, you know, 2021, 2022, as we, as we move on. So, Jim, talk about your process. You know, keep it brief because I know we don't have a ton yeah. of time, but tell us kind of how you guys made the decision on the last piece you invested in. Well, the, the last CNC machine I just bought was two to three weeks ago, and it's already here in Elk Grove at Ray Sagan in their warehouse. So I bought the machine because I had a pain. So that was the thing. There was a pain. I needed spindle capacity. I was busy. All the machines in my shop were running. We had an overload. We were over capacity. We were running at over 100% capacity and we needed that machine fast. So I went with a machine tool that I had already had the knowledge and history with, and I kind of crafted or diversified what that type of machine was. For instance, we have a five axis, we have three axis, we have four axis, we have turning with live tooling. This particular machine is, we went with a standard, a little oversized three axis CNC, But what we did is we put a five-axis attachment on the right side of the table because we don't have that set up already in our shop. And we thought it's a little bit different. It's a little bit more diversified. And we can utilize that that maybe 20 by 20 area that's open. Like you've, you've like laid out this machine. Like it's almost like you've already have it in your shop and you haven't even talked to a sales guy yet, right? I have not, but we we were we're very familiar with the brand. We were very familiar with the options that are available to us, and we have history with the machine tool. So that's my honest answer at how I bought the last CNC. And Nick, I could get it quickly. So within yeah. three weeks, it was on my shop floor. So I'm going to tell two quick stories about like the elements of value. So. We, for you, in, in that case, the, the value element that you that was important to you was how quick can I get it on my floor and how 
how easy is it going to be for us to start working? Because you are, you are. How fast can we start making chips? That was all we cared about. We needed to make chips. We had a pain. We were, we were over capacity. We needed to solve that pain. I was just selling some fixturing to this guy in Ohio, this company called Copen Machine. And I ended up talking to him for about a half hour and why he chose to buy the two DMG horizontals that he bought. The guy's name is Travis Copen in, in Copen Machine in Kent, Ohio. And he bought two DMG NHX 4000s. I'm just looking at the notes that I took from our conversation. He had the uh, RPP5 round pallet pool. And his biggest need was I have to get closer and closer to unattended machining. That was his biggest need. And he doesn't have a lot of skilled machinists like most of the companies we would talk to. So he needs the skilled people he does have to be focused on making parts, not fixing the machine, not diagnosing what's wrong. He needed a machine that was extremely reliable. And in his initial research process, DMG wasn't even on the list. The companies that were on the list was Maybach, Makino, and Doosan. And the reason for that was when you guys made the switch to go direct, this particular guy didn't really understand why. He, he perceived that as a lack of value in the local relationship. He felt like some of his local relationships were abandoned and he had a good relationship with one of his local distributors. And that whole, that whole shift in the industry that like kind of divorce between Ellison and DMG left him wondering, are they not valuing local distribution anymore? So early on, DMG was off of the list. And he was putting his research together. He was putting together like his filters to what he needed in the machine. And what he was able to find was that DMG entered the list late he was, at, he was actually visiting a shop to research a different brand. And he said, I, I tripped over the DMG. But we started asking questions about the DMG. And while the price was higher, it's because their standard was higher. So, for example, this particular machine had a 20K spindle and an HSK 63A as a standard. The competitor's standard was between 12 to 18K. And if you wanted to get to 20K or higher... It was like an upcharge. It was a premium. And if you want to go to HSK, it was a premium. The other thing that was standard was their chip management. And he really valued that because he wanted to get, you know, to lights out manufacturing as quick as possible. He didn't want his people diagnosing, you know, chip management issues. So he talked about how they had four stages to the chip management. They had a trap oil skimmer. They had a drum and a cyclonic. And then they had like a chip stirrer to keep the chips from like settling into the corners of the coolant tank. But he said the number one most important factor to him was responsive service. He really valued his company on being a relationship company. And so I have to give a couple of shout outs to some of your guys because he said, after we started researching DMG, it was the salespeople that won the order. Daniel Madrea was one of them. Mike Trushan was his sales guy. He said, Mike, even beyond when they chose DMG, has been continuing to help them, continuing to deliver value months afterwards, even if it doesn't have to do with the DMG machine that Mike sold him, Mike's able to help him diagnose issues with others' others' machines. And this guy told me, Mike deserves all the gold stars and all the praise you could ever give him. Because I said, I'm going to call him out and, you know, give him a pat on the back during this session. And so, you know, shout out to you, Mike, if you're on this meeting. The other thing is he was concerned about service and he had direct access to a guy named John McDonald was able to tell him why and how they designed the machine the way they did in a way. And he was also able to make them feel like, okay, they're going to pick up the phone. I'm going to have access to the important people. And 
the people that I want to talk to, the people who can solve my problem, will pick up the phone for me. So I just want to give two stories, one win, one loss. Hopefully that was valuable to you. And I know Jason's part of his presentation has some themes that kind of overlap with what I talked about. So go ahead. Yeah. So I have another question for, for the panelists out there. So I want to know from you guys, every time you pick up the phone, you close a deal. Yeah. That'd be awesome. I'll take that laugh as a, as a no. So one of the things that we all know as salespeople is that you have to cultivate a relationship. And being a salesperson is just that. You're adding value and you're rewarded with the sale, right? So, and I would, I would contend that like as sales guys, we're normally just like friendly people. We want to create relationships. We want to make friends, right? I mean, like that's part of one of the things that we enjoy about this industry is that there's really good people in manufacturing and people that go into manufacturing, they stay in manufacturing. You kind of create this network of friends, right? Like, Unfortunately, I've had to stay friends with Jim over these years. And, you know, the, the way you treat your million-dollar vendor, I don't know, man. It's just, it's awesome. <laughs> no, I love you, Jim. No, it, it, you know, and, and that is my wife. My wife actually jokes with me, and she's like, "All of your friends are from work," and I'm like, "I know. Like, isn't that great?" <laughs> she doesn't. She doesn't quite understand that. So, what, what I would ask you is, like, are you trying to cultivate relationships and friendships with your clients, or are you just trying to cultivate a transaction? Because I hope that your relationships with your clients are not that shallow. And I would, I would contend that if you want to land that big sale in the future and, and a machine tool is a big sale, you need to cultivate relationships, not transactions. Because like Nick said, sometimes these customers, they don't mind, you know, switching brands and, and, and you need to have that relationship going on. So during COVID, this was kind of a, unique time. There wasn't a lot of business going on. You had that sign in the door that said, don't go in. And a lot of those relationships that you had, they just, you know, they simply went silent. And just because your clients go silent on you, that doesn't mean that you need to go silent on them. I would say that, you know, if you have gone silent on them, they know it. Like if you've had somebody where they were busy and you were, you know, helping out with, you know, the service, you know, from DMG for a while, and they were buying machines every once in a while. If, if you've gone silent on them, they know it. And if they know that you've gone, that they've gone silent, they're probably not going to want to engage in a, um, in a transaction with you in the future. But you, you might say to yourself, well, they're on my email list or I, you know, they're on DMG's email list. So they're notified. They know about, you know, the latest product that's going out. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, email has almost become like a meaningless, communication. I mean, like how many emails you get next? I think I have like 54 since I've been meeting with you. I right. really, yeah, yeah, like literally in the last, I mean, what about you, Jim? I mean, like, I'm not as popular as Nick. I didn't get 50, but I get, I probably get a hundred a day. I would say eh, maybe not that much, but, but that's a lot. Hot. You cannot respond to that. I mean, one of the things I was thinking about is like, I can literally go out on the side of the road and start shouting with a megaphone and I'm probably going to get more engagement than I do, you know, sending an email on your company. I mean, like, like really. So the level of engagement, like email is, is not as bad as completely being silent, but it's not that great. So, so what do you do? So what you need to do is you need to pick up the phone and you need to ask your clients, how can I help you? And it's not just about asking them if they're going to be interested in buying a machine tool in the future. It's about adding value to that relationship. So ask them how they're doing. Ask them if there's something that you can help them with beyond just the machine tool. So 
you can move to the sale, but you probably need to understand who that person is, what their pain is going on at that time in order to really be able to move to that sale now. And it's just, it's literally like asking questions. Everybody wants somebody to know that they are interested in what's going on in your life. Like I know with Jim, what a Jim's pain points right now is that he's super busy. So that's one of Jim's pains. And so like, if you were a DMG salesman, you could go to Jim and say, Hey, Jim, we've got these machines. You know, I know you're really busy. We've got these machines out on the floor that we could ship to you and you can have in a couple of weeks. But if you're not cultivating those relationships with a phone call right now, you're not going to know that information, but there might be another guy who is just completely dead in the water. And then maybe your relationship with him is just counseling him. It's just a shoulder to cry on. I mean, once again, this industry is an industry where we have these friendships. I mean, as you guys know, when somebody moves around... Tell everybody something. Jason is a big crybaby. Every once in a while, I need a shoulder to cry on. So like, I have relationships in this industry where people will call me up and they'll say, Jason, how you doing? I'm like, you know, I need a hug. You know, <laughs> and sometimes, you know, sometimes that's all it is. So, you know, there's very easy ways to, even if you haven't talked to somebody in six months, 12 months, three years, if you call them up and say, how you doing? You know, this COVID thing is really tough right now. How's your family? How's, you know, forget about the machine tools. Like, I just want to know how you're doing and being the shoulder to cry on. You can pivot to the sale in the future, but like, you need to be cultivating those relationships regardless of whether, you know, they're going to be a buying a machine tool. Perfect right example is like that Mike Trushan example. So yeah, there you go. He sold the machine tool and it's like, okay, what are the chances that COVID machine is going to need another one right away? Sometimes that's the case, but they just bought two. Yeah. And the pallet system is only for two, but he's still talking to him. He's still, for, for the past two months after the sale, he's still working with that guy and he's still helping him with problems. So who's yeah. going to be the first guy he calls next time he exactly. does? Like, exactly. And he's not, and he doesn't have to, like, like I said, again, I, I need, I know I'm kind of beating this, but like, you don't have to call them to talk about a machine tool every single right. time. I mean, we, you know, Jim is a business owner, you know, we get calls about insurance. That's one of the worst ones. Which one is the worst? The janitorial services. Or that one is like, Really? I'm the president of the company and somebody's trying to call me because they want to clean my offices? Come on. And so, but if that person, like, let's look at this scenario, Jim. What if that janitorial person, and and this is completely, um, what if they were on, like Nick said, you know, we're going to kind of, you know, move around some, some of these points. What if they were on LinkedIn and they actually knew how busy you were and they said, hey, Jim, I, I was just on LinkedIn. I know how busy you are. I'm going to help you to be able to focus on the things that are important to you. And I just want to get in there and I want to, I want to, I want to clean your toilets and I'm going to do it for you for free. And he knew a little bit about you ahead of time. And in the meantime, when he got there, he's actually asking you about you, not trying to pitch you on janitorial supplies in the future. He's going to endear himself to you and you're going to know that janitorial guy. He's not just going to be some random person when you were in the middle of doing a quote. But like, even as there's so many other ways that you could add value to a relationship that is before you actually ask the sale. I mean, I try to do this with my clients all the time. I mean, I had a client I called the other day. I hadn't talked to him in six months. Asked him how he was doing. 
asked him how his new ERP system was because I knew from before that he had upgraded the ERP system 12 months ago and offered to say, hey, you know, I kind of know a little bit about this. Is there something I could help you with? And, you know, he appreciated that. I wasn't trying to sell him tooling. I could have. I could have. I could have asked him, you know, like what, you know, if he had anything that he needed to buy or if he's buying from one of my competitors. But I wasn't interested in that. I was interested in cultivating that relationship. So I talked about like who else is delivering value to your customer, the right. ERP supplier. Mm-hmm. Like that's not the business you're in, but you know, if he's going through a new implementation, he's talking to that guy all the time. Mm-hmm. So there's value in you making relationships with people who supply ERPs yep. because they're in the doors. They could be like, Hey, by the way, like we're, we're trying to get their new machine set up and hooked up to the ERP system so that they can get closer to the lights on manufacturing. Exactly. So like now you got the tip. So, and I've actually got something for you guys that would be an easy way that you could call up, and this is going to be a little bit self-serving, so I want to I want to tell you this, this ahead of time. I have an oh, easy God. way to value to your clients without even having to call them about a machine tool. So you could call them up and say, hey, I know I haven't talked to you about in 12 months, and I just want to see how you're doing, but I'll also tell you about this great thing I discovered. There's this podcast. It's called <laughs> Making Shifts. Yeah. And I tell you about this great resource that I discovered. It has nothing to do with DMG. I'm not trying to sell you a machine tool. I just know that you are a manufacturing leader and you have your struggles and and it's good for manufacturing leaders to be a part of a community where they can grow themselves and they can solve their problems. And I think making shifts is a great way to go. And boom, you have a conversation for five minutes. You find out how their kids are doing and they think about you. And then the next time you talk to them in three months, then you move to selling the machine tool. Go ahead, Jim. Is that the definition of a shameless plug? That is the definition of a shameless plug. But you know, I gotta correct you. I gotta correct you. It's not boom, bam. Boom is somebody else. Oh, we use bam. Okay, got it. I have a great resource to now be able to make those calls to people that you haven't talked to in three years because you you know this podcast now that they should know about, and you're going to add value beyond just selling the machine tool. No, that is a great way. It's a, it's a lead-in. It's a soft way to introduce yourself to someone. It's a third-party external from this business relationship that you're trying to develop. And by just yep. saying, hey, you guys, you know, do you listen to Making Ships? It's a manufacturing podcast. These guys are, they equip, they inspire. And you know what? They're kind of funny too that, you know, I'm probably a little more funny than you are or Nick is. But at the end of the day, these guys have been around for a long time. <laughs> I've been around for a long time. I know, I know my stuff. You guys do too. And, you know, and we're three generations of knowledge in a multi-generational manufacturing businesses. So yes, that's the selfish plug. So, okay. It also works if you have a valuable resource that isn't making chips. Yes, okay. it does. I mean, to just deliver value. There's, and, and there's so many things out there that you could do. I'm just trying to equip you all with easy ways to do it. And COVID is a perfect example. Ask somebody how they're doing. Take a genuine interest in who they are as a person and also be able to provide a resource that has nothing to do with you trying to sell a machine. You, you can curate content for them. So for yeah. example, if they're having a really hard time, maybe they bought their first five access mill and they don't know how to program it. There's a YouTube video you found. Yeah. Like five tips to do exactly. that. Exactly. Boom. There's a lot of problems with what you're saying, you guys. And when I get my chance to talk, we're going to do a deep dive why a lot of what you're saying is not going to work. So we have to figure out a way to make all these great ideas that you're proclaiming work, right? 
Well, we haven't experienced the greatness yet because you haven't gone, Jim. So oh, you're right. You're right. Jim is the humble one out of the three of us, in case nobody <laughs> knows that. the most humble award. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, these guys kind of stole a little bit of my thunder already, but that's okay. They always do. But anyway, I'm, I'm talking about old school sales tips in a new normal world. So, you know, we all know COVID's here. It's not going away anytime soon. The world is a mess right now. It's, comp- it's everything's on its head. Nothing is the same. Nothing as it's used to be. So as salespeople out there, there's a lot of things we cannot do anymore. And here's what we can't do. We can't make appointments to see people. We can't, we can't see people in person anymore. We can't call. We can't call businesses anymore because quite frankly, there's nobody at those businesses. Everyone's working remotely and the IT systems of those businesses aren't typically forwarding those calls to those, the contacts that we need to make to their cell phones, right? Mm -hmm. If we do get in to a business, you know, press, press their name, press one, press two, press three, by far and large, there's not going to be anybody on the other end. We can't participate in networking events. I know when Jason and I were serving on the TMA and we were board members and we were actively involved in the manufacturing association there, they sponsored networking events where we could mingle the presidents, the people that were making the buying decisions were there and you could mingle with them and start to create and cultivate these personal relationships that Jason's talking about that are so, so very important. So if we can't make appointments to see people and we can't call businesses and get through to anybody live on the phone, we can't call the offices because they're not forwarding the calls and nobody's in the offices and we can't participate in events. What do we do? Well, we, we utilize technology. We utilize and I would recommend social media. And yes, Nick, LinkedIn is, is probably your most powerful one. So what I'm recommending is start to build avatars of target people. So let's, let's just say Jim Carr, president of Car Machine and Tool, is the target person to get through. He's the decision maker in the company. He's the one that's ultimately going to say yes and sign the purchase order for the new DMG Mori CNC. You're trying to sell to me. So how do we, how does somebody that doesn't know me try to, to get in front of me? So they start following me on LinkedIn. I accept most people on LinkedIn. You guys are laughing. I wonder what's going through your head. Please add something. No. Okay. So anyway, so how, how do you get to know me? So if you follow me on LinkedIn, you know that we're busy. You probably know what industries we service, space, aerospace, space and exploration, semiconductor, those types of industries that are booming right now. You also know that I just bought a new building. We know that we're under over capacity. We have pain. So already you've built the brand. You know what my pain points are. You know what industries I serve. You know where my business is. You know just about how big we are by the size of the company or just doing a little bit of investigative work. But you need to build that personal relationship. You just brought up that you're expanding, you're buying more machines, and you're buying a new building. And then you just listed the industries that you serve, right? So 
one thing I wanted to know is, you know, I got a lot of sales guys too, and I'll be honest, like our sales are down almost 30% right now in advance. And so, you know, they have a lot of valid excuses, like people aren't letting us in the door, like people aren't buying, we got a lot in the pipeline and people aren't pulling the trigger. But you're an example of someone who is investing. So how have you been able to invest during the crisis? Like what is the secret sauce for you? And how would that help, you know, a DMG sales guy find other companies like you? Yeah. I guess the reason why we're busy right now is a lot of things. I can't say it's this, but all I know is with regard to COVID. So we had this good thing going here, right? Preceding all this, we were working on our culture. We were working on our core values. We implemented EOS, the, the entrepreneurial operating system traction. We implemented all these good things. And we've been working on them for a few years now. So we're, we're kind of getting some traction. Then boom. So we're busy and then COVID hits. So what I did in that capacity is I took COVID as an opportunity. Again, I led this conversation by saying everything's upside down. People are not thinking the same way they used to thought. Everyone's doing things and acting and reacting differently than they were before. So I, I thought, and it was already one of my rocks at Car Machine and Tool, is A, determine if we're going to move. B, I did that in the first quarter of the year. And then my second quarter rock was identify a building and buy it. And I did. What happened is when COVID came in mid-March, when the world flipped, I say, is I thought, now's the time to find the building they're probably going to sell it at a much discounted rate because no one knows. Everyone thinks that we're going to go into this deep recession. Everything's unsure of right now. So those are the type of things. Same thing with machine tool sales. Now is probably a good time to buy machine tools, right? A lot of them are in stock. A lot of the discounts are probably a little bit better. Inventories are high. So those are the things that I took advantage of based on COVID. thought you were about the industries that you target because everything you list well aerospace not so much but no. when you listed semiconductor you know and for for us it's like firearms it seems like every other fixturing concept we get asked to produce is for another you know someone doing uppers or lowers or slides or some some sort of firearms thing i think what i've been telling my guys is identify those shops that are in the industries that are growing because they're not as effective as someone who's doing oil and gas right now when you talk about building that persona, if you have a target, you should be able to build a persona of who they are going after and what industries that they target. So like for you, you're not in oil and gas. And so you're in a lot of industries that are thriving right now. And every every DMG salesman out there should know Jim's probably busy and he should know people that are part of these other industries are busy as well, just by occupying their their CRM system with, with the right data and building those personas out. I mean, it even goes back to when making chips started. I mean, we built a persona for making chips. We said that we're going to build a podcast for the manufacturing leader. It wasn't going to be for a machinist. It wasn't going to be for, it was only going to be for the you know, leadership just level. Described me. And yeah, made exactly. Me yeah, exactly. We wanted the emerging millennial manufacturing All leader. around awesome guy. Yeah. Okay. So we built this avatar of your target person that you need to sell to, right? And you built that based on the information that that person is giving away free on LinkedIn, right? 
So we know, we know they're busy. We know the industries, we know they're moving. Okay. But now you've built this virtual relationship. Now you got to get in front of them. And that's the hard part, right? So I was talking with my sales manager the other day and I'm like, I think cold calling is going to have a resurgence. And you know, yes, you can come into an office with a mask on and try to get in front of the president. But more importantly, you know what we came up with? So my sales manager, John, was selling machine tools before he came to work at Car full time. You know what he did, this young millennial? He used to come in to my shop on Saturday mornings at 8.30 a.m. because he knew the president of the company was sitting behind the desk, the gatekeeper wasn't there, and he knew he would get a little bit of FaceTime with the decision maker at the time. Now, we're not working Saturdays anymore because there's not, there's not, enough, there's not enough work out there. But we talked the other day and I said, you know what? If they know what time I exit the building, and I don't know this sounds crazy, but pretend like you're going to meet me at my car and just give me 60 to 120 seconds of, hi, my name is John Doe. I work for DMG Mori. You know, how's business? Don't say I got a machine to sell. You just, you know, what's going on? I listened to your podcast. I saw on LinkedIn, you did this. Just start the conversation and then develop it from there. So anybody doing that? Stalking people and scaring them? Yes. This is Logan and I am 100%. I'm a younger area sales representative for DMG Mori in my territory for about two years. Okay. Even through COVID, I wanted to mention, I did not stop cold calling face-to-face visits. I got in my car every day. I drove to the establishment and I got him on the phone. I said, you know what? I'm out front. You want to meet outside or keep six feet distance and we can just go from there. I'll tell you what, I was only two times I was turned away. I haven't let off the throttle. And uh, yeah, exactly. I work Saturdays as well. And sometimes I even, with certain customers, I'll show up on Sunday. Yeah. So I totally agree with that. It works. Yeah, it really does. And you know what? I really admired this young man that was coming to my office on a Saturday morning at 830 because a typical 24-year-old is typically hung over from the night before on the Friday night, right? No, I'm serious. I hired the guy because I knew he was he was hungry for business, right? He was coming, showing up at my door at 8.30. If he would have brought me a Starbucks, I probably would have bought a CNC from him, right? But nonetheless... I admired his hunger to sell the machines. He was thinking out of the box. He knew I was going to be there. He was probably stalking me. Another thing too is, and I know we're running a little late, but if you want to start building the personal side, you can always stalk people on Facebook, right? At that point, you're going to know Jim Carr likes wines. Jim Carr likes to go to Napa Valley. This is all good information for you guys to use when you start building that personal relationship. I don't know. I'm, I'm just giving you ideas here. So I think if we follow your approach, the buyer should be wondering, is this a salesperson or is he going to kidnap? <laughs> and, and if you get them wondering that, I think, if, I think if you straddle that line and they're wondering the whole time, I think that's where really you're going to close the sale because they're going to be like, is he going to kidnap me? And then you pivot to the sale. And you probably have you're so relieved. That. Exactly. You're you're like, of, course, of course, I'm going to buy a machine tool from you. I just don't want to get kidnapped. <laughs>
I think you did have a lot of valid points, and I think it was Logan who was talking. I think for a lot of the younger guys, we're afraid of like being annoying. You know, like we're we're trying to interrupt Don't these busy people. It. Don't worry about it. Post tenacity, and it shows like wow, this guy really cares a lot. Yeah, and so like that's how you get over the whole like stereotype that millennials are just hung over on Saturday, Jim. Because it's yeah. not always true. Exactly. Well, yeah. obviously it wasn't for him, but you know, but you you think in your head, you know, well, I think about what I was doing at 24, right? I was out on a Friday night having a great time. And the last thing I wanted to do on Saturday, well, my dad used to make me come into work in the machine shop, but the last thing I wanted to do on Saturday morning was come in. Hey, Jim, you're an Autodesk user, right? I am an Autodesk user, yep. I don't have the full version of Autodesk, but I use the Autodesk online to view and look at CAD files. Well, you know, if if we were at IMTS, you could actually check out some of their new offerings. But you know what? Let's call up Marty from Autodesk and find out what they're showing on IMTS Spark. How does that sound? Yeah, give her a ring. I'm going to call her right now. Hello? Hey, Marty. This is Jason Zenger from Making Chips. How are you? Hey, Jason. I'm good. Good. Hey, so Jim and I were just talking about, you know, he's an Autodesk user, but he he was saying that he really wanted to see what the new offerings were from Autodesk at, at the International Manufacturing Technology Show. But you know what? It didn't happen this year. But I know that IMTS is also doing their IMTS Spark, and you guys are a featured technology provider there. So can you tell us a little bit about what you're showing on IMTS Spark? Yeah, absolutely. So if you go to our Spark page, we have several on-demand videos showing you what's new in some of our offerings like PowerMill, Autodesk PowerMill. I've heard of that. You know, being a cutting tool guy, I've heard about the PowerMill. Tell us more about that. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, PowerMill is kind of our like super high-end multi-axis milling, like big molds type stuff uh, solution that we offer. So we have like, you can watch videos on the speed improvements that we've released in 2021 and some of our automated setup workflows for PowerMill that are new. Also on there, we have some customer stories so you can see how other folks are using our software in industry, which is pretty awesome. And then we have a ton of stuff on Fusion 360, which is our kind of new to the party, like <laughs> full CAD CAM CAE solution that is offers solutions for machining or for simulation or for design, kind of everything all in one. Yeah. You know, I always see, you know, Fusion 360 on all the machinists on Instagram, the Insta machinists are always talking about Fusion 360. What What is that all about? Can you, can you tell the manufacturing leaders? Like, so a lot of people that listen to making chips, they're not necessarily the same ones that are on Instagram. You know, they're the manufacturing CEOs and the aspiring manufacturing leaders. I mean, some of them are, but they don't necessarily know about Fusion 360. So can you tell us about that? Yeah, totally. So Fusion 360 is our kind of approach to democratizing the design and manufacturing technology that we all know and love and often use in kind of these big niche uh, areas, or maybe you buy like one seat of that expensive CAD or CAM package and only one person can use it. Fusion 360 kind of flips that on its head, and instead, it's a an affordable approach to CAD, CAM, simulation, kind of everything that you would need, but rather than like one seat of some other CAM software, and then everyone else in the shop has nothing, 
everybody can, you know, get their foot in the door with Fusion 360. Everybody can program. Everyone can have access to those tools that you need to run your business. Okay. So we see a lot of like increased productivity rather than the operator having no access to anything the programmer is doing. Everybody can be looking at the same data, the same source of truth and go from there. Okay. So is it best suited for say like somebody who just opened up their shop more like an entrepreneur rather than somebody that's got a team of people or what do you, who do you think is, is best suited for this? So the beauty is it, it kind of serves both of those people, right? The price point makes it super affordable for someone looking to get started, but there's deep technology, it, especially in manufacturing in Fusion 360 as well. So whether you're just getting, you know, just getting off the ground or if you're more established, it's really a solution for everyone. Okay. Is there anything else that you can tell me that you're there you're showing on IMTS Spark? Yeah, we have. So the beauty of Autodesk, we got a pretty wide range of technology here. So we also have NetFab is our kind of additive manufacturing solution. We have a couple on-demand demos of NetFab, Power Inspect, which is like the inspection other side of the coin of PowerMill. Those two work together really well, and FeatureCam, which does some like turning, mill turning, Swiss, all that good stuff. Okay, okay. And what can we expect to see from the inspiring stories that you have on on your site? I think just a lot of really impactful use of our software. I think that's the beauty of working for this company is you get to watch people do such cool things with the software that you help support. So something that can inspire the manufacturing leader out there to solve their problems or take their business to the next level? Yeah, exactly. Great. Well, Marty, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And I'm definitely going to go to imts.com and sign up for Spark and check out what, what Autodesk has to offer. Sounds good. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you, Marty. So, Alyssa, take it away. Thanks, Jim, Jason, and Nick. This was a great session. So we do. We're going to come back to Andy. We're going to put you on the spot, Jim. Okay, go. Um, Yeah, his question. Why didn't Cameron win an order with Carr? Okay, very, very good question. And who who asked the question? Yeah, so Andy Guthrie is our ASM who asked the question, and he is out of our Chicago office. Okay. Obviously, he knows Cameron like you and I do. And so... So Cameron is is a great guy. I know he's not with DMG Moore anymore. He's he's actually a friend. I saw him two, a couple of weeks ago. We had drinks together when he was in Chicago. And you know, we talk we talk about the DMG Mori experience, and he's always got great things to say. And it was a great training, great experience for him. But there, there's a couple of reasons, and I can't honestly, God, I'm not trying to sidestep the question. But there was probably a lot of reasons. First of all, Cameron did everything in his power to try to win the sale to Car Machine and Tool for a fifth axis machine. So it came down to this. It came down to me taking a chance at DMG Mori because I don't have any DMG Moris in my shop. And the second thing was, honestly, it was a little bit on price too. So as I remember, and this is going back a couple years now, you had just had your innovation days and you were offering some kind of special promotion on this particular machine tool model. And I didn't agree with the way that you were pitching the the price to me. So I felt like I wasn't getting to take advantage of the innovation days price. So it really, at that point, I had already made the commitment 
to put a DMG Mori fifth axis machine. And by the way, DMG Mori is a big brand. You guys are already the leaders in machine CNC machine tool branding. I would say your your tens. They have a very very premium premium brand in it. In it, everything that they produce reflects that. It's mm-hmm. like the James yeah. Bond of. And occasionally, occasionally, in all of our brands, we do have some bad experiences, right? There was a bad experience that I heard of from one of my close peers through my manufacturing associations. And I'll tell the story. This particular person, I don't want to give away names, had an old DMG Mori in his shop and had the spindle went down. and. They were busy. They needed to get that spindle replaced. And service was telling him, like, these are all made up numbers, like $50,000 in a four-month lead time. And he just couldn't believe it. So you had a guy that was speaking loudly. And this guy was a loudspeaker. And he's in a manufacturing association with a lot of peers that you guys sell to. and. He told me of his bad experience, and I still went beyond, and I was willing to buy the DMG mooring. <laughs> the story with Cameron told me he called this guy once. He had no idea. He got him on the phone, and this particular guy said in this very gruff voice, are you kidding me? I wouldn't buy another DMG Mori if you had a gun to my head and said you were going to pull the trigger. So this guy had that much influence on the people around him and their buying process. How does like a DMG representative swing that perception that you know another manufacturing leader? Has, has put into your head and other people's head because you know and we've all had kind of situation with brands and right. at some point like you do get over them and any reasonable person and you know there are some unreasonable people out there but any any reasonable person will be able to engage in a discussion such that they can get past whatever that was so what would that be for you well, first of all, it's tough. It's tough to you know they they say that there's no bad PR, but at the end of the day. If you've got if you've got a big mouth person that's tarnishing or tainting your brand, it, it's hard to pull through. I would get creative in the way I'm trying to approach this person, and I think that if if I feel as though that that sale is going to be extremely hard to penetrate because somebody is tainting the brand so bad, I would give up and I would move on because it's going to be really hard to try to win them over. But I, one more thing, let's finish the Cameron thing. I will give Cameron credit. At the end of the day, we could not agree upon one thing. We could not agree. And we we almost did like a friendly handshake and say, listen, this is not going to work out. And we dropped it right then and there. And we did not move on anymore. And I appreciated that, that we had that relationship, that good business relationship between us that I accepted. And so did Cameron that we just weren't going to be able to find a happy median in this, in this process. And we didn't do it. And the other thing too, is, you know, maybe car machine wasn't really ready for a five axis at that time. Maybe I really didn't have the pain to buy a machine at that time. 
Does that answer your question? Yeah, well, I, I just want to dovetail. So the, the give up part is always hard for me because I'm like, you know, kind of never give up. Don't give up on you yeah. until they tell you. Yeah. But let's go back to my example from that coping machine. You know, the, Travis Copen told me I was really concerned about service. You know, that's the number one thing I hear across all brands, not just DMG, every major brand. And he was able to talk to John McDonald, which is like one of the higher ups. And he felt like because he had direct access to that guy, that guy has more influence. And that, that person made him feel, you know, more secure that the service was going to be there. So a lot of times my area sales managers are like, look, I'm not you. It's not my family's company. I can't make the promises you make. And I'm like, well, hey, you know, call in the cavalry. If you, if you really feel like me or my brother or my dad or, or someone, you know, in executive leadership can tip the scales in your direction, that's when you got to bring us in. Don't just Don't just let the opportunity fall away and the second thing is i thought the dmg guy was talking about my cameron in your area oh no 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 cameron fay he's a great he's a great young guy he's great i guess one of the things i would i would answer about this particular situation is that you know if you know your your customers and you know the discussions that they're having you need to acknowledge the fact that not every brand is for every client and you know this particular person probably did not want the quality and price tag that is associated with the DMG versus, you know, some of the other brands that they were buying, which were maybe cheaper to fix and cheaper to buy. And maybe that's the type of machine that, that he buys. And that's okay. Like, you know, you can't, you can't win every single sale. And then, so that's from a sales perspective, you need to be able to acknowledge that. You need to be able to educate the market on, you know, we're not for everybody. You know what I mean? We don't have a hundred percent market share and there's a clientele out there that wants to buy a cheaper product and they want to have something that's cheaper to, to fix. And I guess the second thing would be to, you know, understand the marketplace. And if there's a perception that's incorrect. You need to engage in good marketing that gets the right marketing message across to the masses that really does communicate effectively who you are as a brand. And if that brand is higher end, that's great. But if that brand is quick service and you know whatever else, you need to be able to do that. But I mean, like from a marketing standpoint, you need to be able to solve those pains as well because every single person out there can have a change in perception and can turn the tide from disliking a brand to liking a brand. You're not fixed in that forever. And not to keep going back to the same example, but that's exactly what happened. So DMG set the standard higher. You know, my marketing mind, as you're talking about marketing, is like setting a higher standard, thinking of taglines and stuff for DMG. But the standard price for that machine at Copen was much higher than the alternatives. But when you started bringing those alternatives up to the same standard, the price was a lot closer. Right. And so message really articulating here is our standard here's all the value you're getting at standard right and now all of a sudden we're not in this like ultra premium like only for the super rich right Mm -hmm. so yeah by the way jason you said that really well i want to compliment you on what you just Uh said but that was really good but here's the thing guys the salespeople i'm directing that dmg is a first class brand you're already in the door because you're you you set the standard for uh, German machine tool technology. It's it's up there. Your five axis CNC machines are the leaders. So you've already got an advantage. Your company's willing to spend money on marketing materials, on motivating, on 
taking care of its prospects and clients. So you've already got, you just need to find the right person. And I'm going back to the avatar thing. You just need to identify who that right person is. And I know it's difficult now during COVID, but believe me, there are tips and tricks and there's ways that you're going to be able to penetrate and get in. So uh, one person asked a quick chat about what are we using? I already Um, answered it, Jim. What did you answer? You're not using any CNCs in your shop, are you? No, he said he said car is mostly Mazak and hot. AME, my company, is a mix of a lot of Mazak and Doosan. And then the example that I gave, the, the winner of that contest or whatever was Toyota. I got to be honest with you guys, not super thrilled here because of the service. That seems to be the common theme, yeah. responsive service. Your guy who kind of deterred you, Jim, was a service-related issue. What did the coping guy say? Service. So. The salesman did his job and I was willing to, you know, we were close to the finish line. We just didn't, we just didn't sprint over it. And that's okay. We just pick up your bags and and move on. It's okay to lose some every now and then, right? Because you learn a lot from losses, right? I've got a Cameron who lost an order to you too, Jim. So I'm not crying. Okay. Questions do we have from the panelists or or from you, Alyssa? So we don't have any more in the chat or the Q&A, but a quick one from our end. So okay, from everything that we've talked about and we've discussed today, what would be one thing that the sales guys should start tomorrow? So if we could take one thing out of this discussion to go forward and start tomorrow, what would that be? I, I would say, so I, I want to go back to the conversation that I had, which is start calling people that you haven't talked to in a long time and start cultivating those relationships, start warming them up so that you can be the person that that they call when they are ready to buy a machine tool. It literally like will take you what? It could take you two minutes to leave a voicemail and it could take you 15 minutes to have a great conversation about how they're doing during COVID. But just pick up that phone and say, hey, you know, Joe, I haven't talked to you in six months. How you doing? It's easy. We should all be doing it every day. Jim, what's your one thing? I would start building the avatar of the people that you're connected with on LinkedIn. Really dig in, find out who the person is that's going to actually sign the purchase order, find that right person. And if you can't get to him directly, start down the ladder. Maybe there's a machinist that you can connect with on LinkedIn. Start there. That person might even give you the president's cell number. You know what I mean? Start asking questions. Start DMing people. Talk to the engineers. Talk to the administrative assistants. Those people, you know, once you start, once you start integrating into a company, some people are very free about giving out information once you've won them over with your authenticity. So, and then for me, my one thing would be to make two lists. You know, ultimately, sales starts with making a list of targets. So I would use LinkedIn to do it. I would make one list. Uh, as a prospecting list, which would be target industry segments that you know are growing. We've mentioned a lot of them today. And then make a list of names that you've identified at those target companies. And the second list I would make is complementary businesses. Like for me, I don't sell cutting tools, but I would make a list of companies that are delivering value to my target customer and start building relationships with them, seeing how you can help each other. Maybe there's ways that you could refer each other some new business. So for me, it's making two lists. That is an interesting point, Nick. One of the things that 
my company as a as a tooling distributor, we don't sell machine tools, but we notice, and I and BMG doesn't do this, but we notice that sometimes the machine tool builders really want to own the entire package from the very beginning, even if it's one of my customers that I have, you know, integrated. And if they simply were to like, you know, call me up, you know, the individual salesman doesn't need to be a, a formal process with the company and start cultivating those relationships with the tooling distributors and exchanging referrals and trying to help each other out. And that doesn't mean you need to have one guy. I mean, you could, you could help out a variety of different people. And if you start, Working those relationships, you could start getting referrals from places and start getting prospects warmed into that you weren't in before. And instead of saying, well, I'm going to call the Sandvik guy and have him help me tool up this package. Well, how about you call the distributor and, and get another set of eyes to look at what might be the best turnkey application for this? Because those are the guys that are out there. They're in every single shop and they really know who's busy, who's not, and they're they're talking to these clients on a on a every other day basis because I know I know that my guys are. Yeah, put me and Jason on that list you make because yeah. when people make big investments or when they're thinking about big investments, it's more than just the machine. Oftentimes, it's the tooling that comes with it, and so we may be the first to know, you know, that that next company who's making an investment. Yep. So I saw that like, in the chat from Lance Lance Norman. Kudos to you, buddy. He used the HR person to get to the right guy. So he went into the company. He couldn't get to the decision maker. He went to the HR person and the HR person connected him to the right guy. Perfect. Brilliant. Thinking out of the box, using all the resources, using all the tools in the toolbox, right? That's what it's all about. Okay. So this is a question about cell phone. This came through the Q&A. Really good question. You know, okay. So you have the cell phone of upper management customers. I've got a story for you. Okay. Let me read the whole question. So this is directed at Jim, but I'm going to take it because I'm because I can give a better answer to this anyway. <laughs> of course you can, Jason. So anyway, I have cell phone numbers of upper management customers that I've collected over the years. I'm reluctant to use them. If you did not know me and I called you on your cell phone, how would you react? You know, the way that I look at this is how much damage are you really going to cause by calling them on their cell phone? Like, are they going to hate you and never call you again? I doubt it. Are they gonna, like, what's the worst thing? That's why I always tell myself, what's the worst thing that could happen? They say, you know what? I really appreciate if you don't call me on my cell phone. Or maybe they just never return your call. Like, that's literally the worst thing that could possibly happen. So give it a try. You know, I, I, I would think, prefer that than sneaking up on me while I walk to my car. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I've got it, one, who's now one of our biggest clients. I never called this gentleman on his cell phone. I've been, you know, making pitches and pitches over years to try to integrate all of their tooling business, install a vending machine at their at their plant, and and do everything possible to get their business. And one day, I just I was tired of making these pitches, and I just called up the owner of the company on his cell phone, and I was like, "Are you ready to get started or not?" And he was like, "You know what? As a matter of fact, I am." <laughs> he wasn't mad that I called him on his cell phone, and it was just like. It, I think it was just the right call at the right time. And maybe it was some kind of divine intervention, but like he just, you know, it just worked out. So, I mean, you just never know. And like, what's the worst thing that could happen if you call somebody on your cell phone? So go ahead, Jim. I know you no, might, no, you Jim. might have a different answer, which is fine. Like a different perspective is good. Jim, great answer. Jason, your turn. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I would do? You know, a call is pretty obtrusive, Right. Send him a text. Just say, hey, this is Jim from DMG Mori. 
can I give you a call at 9 a.m.? It's a light touch point, but yet it's a little bit in their face. I would just send a text and use an emoji too. Emojis, you know, they go a long way. They really do. I agree with you on both of those fronts, with the emoji and with the text. It's all about kind of making an interruption in their day. Want to be interrupted by a text? Like, that's their prerogative. Like, they can be interrupted. And if they don't want to be interrupted, they can set up barriers so that they don't do that. But when you make that interruption in their day, you get their attention and you become a name that they're thinking about. And that way they can tell you, I don't want to talk to you at 9 a.m. Or how about you call me at 10? Or they don't. They, maybe they don't um, return your text, but there's a really good chance they read it. And at some point, you can engage with them in a conversation at a later time. Okay, so to close, what emoji would you use? I love the, the happy face. I'm going to go classic and go happy face emoji. Jim? Same. Or sunglasses. You know, one of those, one of those two. So sunglasses, Jim, what's yours? Old school emoji. Oh, yeah, they do have the old guy. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I would do the two fists with an explosion. There you go. (laughs) Bam, the bam. At the end of the day, if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Bam. As always, thank you for listening to the Making Chips podcast. You need to increase the speed and feed of your business. If you're not elevating your manufacturing leadership, you're going to get left behind. The metalworking nation is committed to a new way to stay ahead of the competition. We have more content to help you make and elevate at makingchips.com. Gain access to exclusive content, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you. We'll see you next time. So, Jim, I know that you love me, and you're a valued supplier to Car Machine and Tool. You're our biggest cutting tool supplier. So, Jim, what's my grade? Well, you know, ProShop rates our vendors based on every... It's a live, real-time rating schedule from one to five. And let me look. Uh, Zangers, you're a five. Five out of ten, man. Congratulations. You're not below average. You're at the top of your list. Five out of five. Five out of five. Oh, five out of five. Overall quality, packaging quality, lead time, pricing, customer service, and then it averages all of those out. Got it. So what's the purpose of having a grade anyway for your for your vendors? Because part of having a quality management system wants to know that you're rating your suppliers all the time and because you don't want to deal with a supplier that's subpar, right? It affects your overall quality. If you're shipping me cutting tools that are late or the wrong size, it's going to impact our customer's delivery, right? So it gives you the ability to have a conversation with your suppliers and say, I need you to make these improvements because of this certification that I have. 100%. That's great. Well, for more information on this, go to ProShopERP.com and check it out.